0: hey there it's gary Perry. it's monday december 26th day after christmas welcome back to the island college basketball podcast i got matt norlander with me and literally nothing of relevance has happened in college basketball since we last talked on this podcast but it was an awesome sunday of nba and uh college basketball did get a shout out kinda did you watch norlander the the Cavs warriors game at all
1: I actually only caught the uh, final couple minutes, GP, and it was a crazy final couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, that LeBron James hanging on the rim. I think actually a college player would lose his eligibility if that ever happened. And yet <laughs> no T in that game. But no, I did not see most of the game. Heck of a finish there. Uh, but no, I, I did miss most now, of it. Why? Now
0: let me be clear. You're not in favor of a technical there, are you?
1: No, I actually found it. It was. It, it seemed very cathartic. James. And, and by the way, when that happened, there was still like, what, 90 seconds to go. Right. So there was no. And I think Curry hit a three after that and had a little bit of a, of a response from that as well. So it was actually a heck of a moment given like it wasn't like a game clinching dunk. But no, when it comes to that celebration stuff, GP and a lot of this, you know, with the NFL and players celebrating and receiving 15 yard penalties, it was not to the point where I thought it was like just I don't know, you'd have to like practically just be just hanging on the rim Elbow over the top and just inducing a delay of game for me to think that you should ever warrant some sort of technical. I don't really – I'm not pro-technical i am not when it comes to hanging on the rim.
0: I'm against technicals for hanging on the rim ever under any circumstances. The penalty for hanging on the rim to the extent that there is one should be that the other team can run out on you and you're still hanging on the rim. Like there's an, yep. there's an inherent penalty to hanging on the rim too long, and we'll let basketball figure that out. I wish they would do away with that uh, forever. Either way, here's the point. And I guess this sort of ties together. Jeff Van Gundy in the, I think it was first quarter, there was a questionable call about something and somebody was booing and whatever. And he said, if if these people or anybody watched college basketball much, you would never complain about the NBA officials again. He said, it's amazing or incredible how often the officials create foul trouble that has an actual effect on the game. And you and I, I think, have talked about this before. Um, it is incredible. And the reason this became a, a, a point of conversation yesterday, Draymond Green picked up two quick fouls, and he was, quote, in foul trouble, had to go to the bench with foul trouble. And that was such a big deal because you never, you, I don't want to say never, you rarely see that in the NBA, at least relative to how often you see it in college basketball. It's basically every other game. Like some important player gets sent to the bench with two fouls. And... Um, who do you hold responsible for that? Is it because the officials in college basketball are poor, which is what Van Gundy suggested, or is it because the coaches are too quick to automatically send star players to the bench with two fouls, meaning, hey, nobody makes you put, put somebody on the sideline with foul trouble. You're choosing to do that. Or is it that college basketball needs more fouls? That way um, the the important players aren't being rendered useless for, for important minutes of the game. Because I do think... I'm less sure of what the the solution is, but I do believe it is a problem that in this sport um, so often the premier players aren't on the court because of what we label foul trouble. That happens in no other sport as often as it happens in college basketball where the important players are taken off the court, not because they need rest, not because they're playing poorly, but because they have been hit with something from a referee or an official. Who's to blame for that? All
1: right. Some of this I feel is anecdotal. Um, if you want to say premier players being starters and you have a point, um, I don't feel like college basketball's uh, you know most important players are consistently hitting first half foul trouble GP. It does happen to a certain extent. Um, who's to blame for it? I think there there's two ways of going about this. Uh, one, college basketball coaches are much less willing to keep their players on the floor with two fouls in the first half. Uh, Because of that, you will see situations where, you know, one of the two or three most important players to a team might pick up a second foul with 13 minutes to go in the first half, and he won't see the floor again until there are three minutes to go if he sees the floor again, period, because three fouls through the first 20 minutes uh, feels like something of a death sentence because you want to start your player out there in the second half, and then you're playing a numbers game. I do not believe that college basketball should go to six fouls. Now, you want to blame some of the officials? Maybe. But I do think that there is legitimacy here to the fact that the way that players are taught to play the game and the style of college basketball as it's been for a lot of the past two decades has gotten more physical. And so now we are still in a transition stage that I think is going to take a number of seasons in terms of cleaning up the game getting it more fluid, allowing the offensive players more space. And because of that, I just think... Now, I actually think coaches have adapted to it better than I thought they would. But the number of fouls have gone up, free throws have gone up. Um, So because of that, college basketball is is in an unfortunate position where it only is a five-foul game. But when you... Uh, fraction it out, it's five for 40 minutes, and the NBA gets six for 48. They break down perfectly evenly. You just have more time in the NBA, and the NBA, of course, also has quarters. College basketball doesn't, so from a team foul perspective, the fouls get the reset after every quarter. You don't have quite as many uh, foul shots uh, because you're not hitting the bonuses frequently. You have a little less stoppages overall. I'm not for six fouls for a 40-minute game. The Big East did experiment with it Back in the 90s and while that was just one league, it was a substantial um, sample size and they did find that games were taking longer, more fouls were still getting called, it was still stalling the game. So I don't believe that going to six fouls in a 40-minute game is going to be better for the product because I don't, I don't find that necessarily players will be fouling at a, at a lesser rate. They'll, they'll think they have more insurance there and they'll be more willing to play more aggressively. College basketball is trying to move that out of the game. I blame coaches more than officials, and as for Van Gundy's point, no doubt about it, the average official that's working a Summit game is nowhere near the level of the official that is that is in that Golden State-Cleveland game. I get that, but the top 5% of college basketball officials, I feel, could absolutely work at the NBA level. That might even be top 10, top 15%. They, these guys do get graded. Uh, pretty harshly they are reviewed and I spoke with the director of officiating last year he threw a stat at me GP and then I'll throw this back to you that was actually pretty surprising where every every official gets reviewed by its own conference and the director of officiating within all those conferences and consortiums and all that and you have to meet a certain threshold for acceptable calls and they they basically are succeeding at calling the right plays most officials at a more than 90 percent clip which was a number that was a little surprising to me. But on the whole, college basketball refs continue to do their job ex- extremely well. But they do have mess ups in some big spots. It gets tight. More people pay attention. And again, officiating is one of those things where unless you're doing a perfect job, people are going to notice you. So the job is just it's a thankless job. You're going to inherently get picked apart. And this isn't just for college. Teams, by the way, people kill the Pac-12 refs in college football. And it's not even just the Pac-12. So I think this is kind of exists everywhere. But college basketball is certainly uh, more susceptible to it than others. It
0: is an amazing profession. Like, can you think of other professions where every day or night when you go to work, you are going to be relentlessly yelled at and booed, yelled at by coaches and booed by fans, no matter whether you're doing your job well or not? Like, what other job is like that? Uh i mean nothing <laughs> i mean like maybe if you have to work um the rebooking ticket line at for an airline like that could be
1: that's very thankless yeah yes. like
0: everybody's pissed off But even
1: then the audience is only you know 200 people deep and even <laughs> it's then not the same thing. and
0: even then i think most people would go hey listen i understand it's not your fault like this sucks i'm pissed but it's not your fault whereas if you're a, a basketball official everything that goes wrong as according to the coaches watching or the fans watching in terms of that whistle blowing or not blowing is your fault they're yelling at you and then and then that game's over and then tomorrow you're going to do the same thing again <laughs> it's such a weird way to live isn't it
1: it is uh and and by the way these college basketball officials they're not you know they their employment structure is, is that that they just work themselves ragged um, because it's not a full time kind of deal. You know, uh, Gene Steratore, who's famous for being an NFL official, then once the NFL season gets done, he can't get enough. You'll see him working Big Ten games and the most random games. So they they do it for a certain love of the game that's undeniable. I will say that I think that college basketball's officiating on the whole is acceptable um i wish that the system in place was better that you didn't have these guys because what happens in my opinion is as the season goes on uh officials and teams and coaches get into habits you get into league play people are more familiar with other people these officials are literally working five or six nights a week it's not a healthy work environment but the fact of the matter is the top like, the, you know, the 50 or 60 best in the game are, like, so clearly the best. The guys that are – and fans aren't going to know the names of a lot of these guys. But the guys that are getting the tournaments NCAA tournament, getting the Final Fours, it's because, like, there is a serious line where, like, you know if a guy has been in the game for 15, 20, 25 years, he's a really good official. But the problem is those guys are still working themselves ragged, okay, and they're in great, tremendous shape, but still they're in their 40s. Plenty in the 50s, some even now into the early 60s, and so it's when you're getting on planes and you're flying coach and you're doing this, it it to me it can have an adverse effect overall. Uh, I wish that the NCAA was able to truly be able to put these guys full time and assign them and and have it be more balanced. But if you talk to coaches, they don't care. Like when you get to mid February and you're trying to win a league title or get into the tournament, they simply they're like, I'll take a guy that has been in the game for 25 years and is considered like a top tier official over a guy that hasn't worked a game in three days as well rested, but has maybe been on the beat for like seven, eight years and, and maybe worked six of my games ever. So it's a problem that I think college basketball can't truly ever get rid of uh, because it's had plenty of opportunities to do so. But yeah, JP you're right. It's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing, but I, I don't think that the level of officiating at the NBA versus the guys that are working the tournament is is a wide golf i think that college basketball at its peak still has some really good officials and it is always a it's a fascinating thing then because you, you can't do anything defeat to, to to appease the fan bases or coaches unless you're flawless and no no official should ever be held to that standard
0: i i like i'm just sitting here thinking like it, it might make for a fun column someday to like just sit down with these officials and, and sort of like why do you do this because you you walk into a situation and you're an adult and other adults are yelling at you and not just fans. I mean, like in football, the coaches don't get that close to the referees, right? Or in, in in baseball, you rarely get that close to an umpire. You know, you yell from the dugout or you you run out to argue a call and then you're going to get thrown out of the game pretty quickly if you get nose to nose with them. In basketball, it is such a, a small playing surface relative to these other sports and often... The coach yelling at the ref is, is yelling at him by his name, within five to six to ten feet of him. Um, like in like in what other work environment do, are are other people allowed to just yell at you like that nonstop? Like like if, if like if you work in a in a construction site, like you just don't wake up every day. I, I realize you probably have a bad day, and some boss probably yells at you at some point. But like every day is not a bad day. With officials, there is never a day you work. Where another adult is yelling at you, telling you you're not doing your job well at some point. Like there is there's no there's no exceptions to that day. I can't think of another job off the top of my head like
1: internment camp ability. And that's that's basically it. I mean, it's it's basketball games and internment camps, and that's
0: nothing. <laughs> not, what a bizarre way to make your living. By it just, is.
1: I've actually, yeah, I've thought about uh, GP. I've thought about doing a story like that for a long time. I did officiate games from like the time I was nineteen until twenty four, twenty five, because it was just a side gig. I were, I did middle school. I did freshman and JV in high school one what's what's crazy is like it, it was first of all to even get qualified like you got to know the rules so you know I, I the test is hard and that was for like Connecticut high school stuff like to to get at the level where you can work d1 let alone NBA like the guys know the rule book in and out without a doubt um, but it's GP I'm telling you like I remember <laughs> I can remember the game like I, I remember going to this school in Connecticut uh, Pompaog working a JV game and the parents are relentless. At one point, that that game was so bad that the game ended. I literally turned to the crowd and this one father, and I said, "If you think you can do it, you're welcome to come down here." I took the whistle off my neck. I just like dangled. <laughs> I said, "You can take my whistle. You can give it a try. Until then, you can shut up." Because he was relentless. I had I once did a seventh grade GP, seventh grade, seventh grade game, Brookfield, Connecticut, and. This coach, at the time, I must have been 22. The coach could not have been older than 25 or 26. And I remember at halftime, just like, going, be, I'd be like, dude, we're the same age. Like, it's seventh grade. I'm I'm making the calls. I'm doing the best I can because at sev- the seventh grade level, sometimes that specific game, I'm kind of going off a tangent here, but it's tapping into a dramatic part of my past. Like, the other official didn't show up. And so I'm working one court. You got traveling left and right, and you gotta like, you know, sometimes you gotta call it. Sometimes if there's just at a little bit of the shuffling of the feet, it's a just it's a different world, man. You're looking at the game from a different perspective, and that's just at the minor <laughs> no, levels it's a- of like freshman ball. So when you get to like the major D1 level, like it is it is truly something that a lot of these guys who, by the way, played college basketball. Or certainly played at the high school level, they have a certain like undeniable love of the game, and they're in really fantastic shape. Like for the most part, like next time you watch an NBA or a college game, like take a look at the officials on the floor. Think about how much they're running every single game. I mean, it's miles and miles. They got to be up the floor. They got to be ready. It's certainly very fascinating. I would disagree with Van Gundy only to an extent, GP. That there's no doubt about it. That there's there are issues with college basketball officiating. But I don't feel like, and let me know if you disagree, like over the past five years, I just don't feel like that's been a front burning topic in the sport. We have pockets of it, but I don't if you talk to coaches, commentators, I feel like it's been something that the sport's been trying to get better at, but I don't feel like it's been yeah. a plague on college. I basketball. think
0: his larger point was simply I know that this sucks that Draymond Green's now taken uh, uh, you know essentially out of this game for the time being based off of foul trouble but just understand this happens every game in college basketball and it doesn't happen every game but it does happen a lot i've talked about this before um on on my radio show it it happens too often i think in college basketball and, and, I'm, and I'm not even i'm not even assigning blame like i'm not saying it happens too often because the refs suck I, it just happens too often where the better the like a top three player on one of the teams has to, you know, is, is sent to the bench because he picked up multiple fouls in the first half. It just it, it doesn't do the sport any favors to not have the best players participating. And famously, you know, in the Final Four, uh, whatever year it was, you know, there was a, a Georgetown Ohio State game, Odin against Hibbert, and they both end up sitting on the bench first half, you know, without trouble. Yeah. Like so, it's just, yeah. like you just you just you lose these moments um, that that could be cool moments or like the outcome of the game is actually affected by these things. Like outcomes of games are affected by foul trouble in college basketball way more often than they are in the NBA. And like, I think that's an issue. So I'm not even blaming the official so much as like, I I don't know what the problem is, but it is a problem. You don't, I don't think as long as we boil this down to entertainment, it's more entertaining when the best players are playing. And too often in college basketball, the best players aren't playing uh, because of foul trouble. Let's move on. But first, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts, it's been confusing, uh, just in a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or the show that you want to attend. And, and none of the older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come uh, along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go. To buy tickets for games and concerts, it's the app I used to see Guns N' Roses this past summer. It's the app I used to see uh, the St. Pablo tour in the fall before Kanye flipped out and canceled the rest of the whole thing. It's the app I'll use next time I want to attend anything. And it's the app you should use too, and here's why. Uh, Seageek, um, they do all the price comparison for you. They search multiple ticket sites to ensure that you get the best possible deal. Again, SeatGeek, they, they do all the work. You save time and you save money. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you'll get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So you got it? Download the SeatGeek app, purchase tickets, use the promo code COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code COLLEGEBB today. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place like I said at the top of this podcast um, literally nothing's happened since last time we talked a whole lot about Grayson Allen in college basketball because uh, Christmas falling on a Sunday created a weird December weekend which is a weekend where we basically didn't have college basketball that that doesn't usually happen in December obviously Um, I know that there was like diamond head classic games that you may or may not have paid attention to but they're certainly not things we're going to uh, spend any time on on this podcast but um, like there was nothing nothing going on this weekend. Uh, so I decided to, to do something as conference play gets ready to get started. I went back and looked at the top eight leagues, which are, by the way, the American Athletic Conference, ACC, America, uh, Atlantic 10, Big East, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, and the SEC. And I went and found my preseason predictions for champions of those leagues. I found Norlander's preseason predictions for champions of those leagues. And we'll run through them and decide whether we'd stick with our preseason pick or change it. You ready?
1: I dig it. And then I let me just – so. All right, we're going to do it alphabetically.
0: I've got it alphabetically.
1: I'm going to try and guess the ones that I picked cuz I think I can still guess what I had. So what's the first well, one? Well, you don't have to guess. You
0: just have to remember.
1: That's like
0: me looking at my wife and saying, "Okay, hold on a second. I'm going to try to guess what I got you for Christmas." Like I know well, I know well, I know well, I what I got you for go, Christmas. This was, like, this was like 2 months ago. So <laughs> you the, don't the have American, to guess. You just have to use your memory.
1: I might be like but I I can't for sure. Like I think in the American I picked Yukon, is that right? You did. So did I. We'd both change that now, wouldn't we? Yes, I would pick Cincinnati without a, without a doubt. UConn, which, by the way, uh, fired its head coach somewhat shockingly on Monday. I don't think that was football, not
0: good. basketball. Kevin Ollie is still employed. Yeah. I
1: know. <laughs> don't be freaking people out <laughs> on I the podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, no. Kevin Ollie still gainfully employed, very much so at UConn. Bob Diaco, uh, somewhat shockingly, is now out. Uh, but UConn is is five and six, and if if Connecticut ends the season sub five hundred, Kevin Ollie, I do not believe has any shot of losing his job, and he no. will enter next season, I think, undoubtedly on the hot seat. Uh, you can't pick UConn to to, to keep going. You just uh, put Kevin be... Ollie on the hot seat. If they are fi- if, if 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 UConn's below five hundred at the end of this season, he'll enter next season on the hot seat.
0: Once we'll yes. some people look at it and go, it lost two starters for the year. What are you going to do?
1: I think plenty of other people would go. He won a national title with Jim Calhoun's players, Ooh. and look at what he's not been able to do in the tournament since then. I'm just telling you. No, I hear you. I hear the rumblings in my own state. Yeah, you're not uh, wrong. I like if you look at his Wikipedia page. Like, there's
0: the national championship that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, yeah, and there, there ain't much else there.
1: I know it could be. It could be interesting here. Now they do have serious injury issues, but I mean they lost at home. Now Auburn's not. Auburn's actually, I think, off to one of its best starts in 10 or 15 years this year. Bruce Pearl's doing a good job there. But still, like you lose on your home floor uh, in overtime on Friday night. Again, that was the Friday before Christmas. It, it, a lot of people aren't paying attention, but that's drops them below 500 here. So back to your general point, GP. Um, pick UConn. That was a swing and a miss. I would go Cincinnati, but there are plenty of candidates. Memphis is certainly doing well under Tubby. Houston, SMU, I think those are the four legitimate. Temple's not bad either. Temple's just got a weird resume. So I would go Cincinnati and feel pretty confident about it. Right
0: Temple's now. got the best wins in the league, but also got some bad losses. Houston, I was totally on board. I still am. I think Houston's good. Lost to Harvard. Like, that's not good. Right. Um, Cincinnati, I think, is the best team in the league, clearly. It doesn't mean they'll win the league, but I think Cincinnati's clearly, you know, and Memphis, you know, got an Oklahoma win, but like, how good is that? You know, like it looked good at the time, but I don't know how good that is. Like, I don't think I don't know if Oklahoma is any good, and so, yeah, I, 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 you and I are on the same page here. We both picked UConn. That was wrong. Uh, We should have picked Cincinnati, and we would right now. ACC. We both picked Duke. Uh, Pick Duke, obviously. Yeah, we both picked Duke. Would you stick with Duke?
1: Yes, I would stick with Duke.
0: I would too. I would too. The Grayson Allen thing is a little weird, but like. I don't know if I'd say this about any other college basketball team in recent history, except maybe that 2015 Kentucky team, the Carl Anthony Towns team that platooned. Um, you could take any player off Duke, and I'd still think – they, they I, I still might make them the favorite to win the national championship. Like
1: literally yeah, any player. I, I, I actually, so one of our editors actually, when the Grayson Island fallout came, he's like, listen – we kind of need some more stuff. What are you thinking about? Like, you know, if, if Duke doesn't have Grayson Allen for the suspension, how good are they? And I, I was like, listen, man, they are still capable of being the number one team in America without Grayson Allen on the roster. So I'm totally with you. Like they've proven it without having the freshmen to go. And now they, they have all of them healthy. Uh, who knows how long Allen will be sitting, but we know it'll be at least one game could be, you know, longer 10, 15 days. Who knows? But even without any of the, like take Allen, you take, Giles or take Tatum or take Kennard or take Jefferson if you take only one of those Guys off I still think Duke can be the number one team in America So yes they are still definitely My pick to win the ACC Atlantic 10 You remember who you picked Uh, Definitely Rhode Island And I'm still GP I'm still (laughs) I believe in That team I they've had some injury Issues they had a tough schedule Um, Can I (sighs) I still believe that Rhode Island can be a very good team. I still—if you told me that Rhode Island had the best March, and you want to include that being the A10 tournament, NCAA tournament—I would totally believe you. Um, you know what? F it. I'm still picking Rhode Island. I'm—I'm I'm not bailing on them. I think they have the talent. What about you?
0: Uh, I picked Rhode Island in the preseason, and I would stay with them as well. And and like wow, you are yeah. And here's they, the here's the deal. They have been disappointing relative to preseason expectations. They were a preseason top 25 team. They're not top 25 right now. But it's you know nobody else in the Atlantic Ten like just run away and been crazy impressive you know like VCU's like whatever Dayton's what like they're they're all solid teams but my point is nobody like there are some other leagues where there's some real like positive surprises like Baylor in the Big Twelve or Creighton in or in Butler in the Big East but like in the Atlantic Ten uh, Rhode Island might not be what we thought they were but nobody else is is better. Obviously better. You could argue Dayton might be better, but nobody's obviously better than Rhode Island, so I'll just stick with Rhode Island.
1: Yeah, the A-10 has some issues in terms of what it's not been able to do in the non-conference, and because of that, I can't see the league being more than three bids, and that's probably a best-case scenario, which is unfortunate to it because actually I thought it would be a better year for the A-10. With Rhode Island, just to get listeners like totally clued in here, their losses are all acceptable. They lose by 10 against Duke. They lose by 3 against... At Valpo, a tough place to play, relatively speaking. Valpo is probably going to go to the tournament. They lose by three at Providence, and that, really one that's of that's the, the one you don't. That's the one you don't want to lose. You don't, but Providence hasn't been awful, and they just took an awful loss. But it is that rivalry is so, and it doesn't resonate nationally, obviously, but within that state, like it's there's it's like BYU Utah levels of hate between Rhode Island and Providence. It's bizarre, but it's there. You don't want to take it, but it's only three at Providence. Okay. And then they lose by five at Houston, which hasn't been great, but hasn't been bad either. So they are understandable. But now is the time like Rhode Island opens on Friday at St. Louis. St. Louis, as we record this podcast, ranks 300th in Ken Palm. I know it's hard to win on the road. If Rhode Island is going to be an NCAA tournament team, you win at St. Louis on Friday. So I'm sticking with them. If they lose that game, I'm off the I'm off the URI bandwagon in terms of winning the A10 because that's one that you have to win.
0: Yeah, can't lose that St. Louis. All the other ones, the Providence one, I don't like. I can't get down with that one. But Valpo is going to be in the NCAA tournament. Duke, obviously NCAA tournament. I think I think Houston has got a chance to be in the NCAA tournament. So we could look back on on that non-league portion of, of Rhode Island schedule and go at least three of the four teams they lost to. NCAA tournament teams and two of those and the in three of the losses were were true road game losses so um I'm with you I, I would prefer Rhode Island be in the top 20 just like I had them in the top 20 in the preseason but that they're not the resume still is as good as anybody else's in the Atlantic 10 I'll stick with them in the Atlantic 10 by the way you and I picked the same pre, uh, conference champions for seven of these eight leagues um uh big east Villanova uh,
1: Nova, obviously and would obviously stick with that gotta
0: stick with it there's no re- they've done nothing to uh to make anybody change their mind uh C- Creighton is better than people thought Butler seems to be better than people thought Xavier might not be as good as people thought but Xavier's still the top 20 team uh but yeah uh, picking anybody other than Villanova right now seems like you're trying to be different just to be different Big Ten this is where we were different
1: I picked you had in, Indiana and I had Wisconsin?
0: I picked Indiana and you picked Wisconsin. Would you stick with Wisconsin?
1: Big Ten's tough. Um, GP, the Big Ten is interesting. Michigan State is nothing like we thought it would be, even though we knew we'd hit his struggles. Um, so it's,
0: it's, Wisconsin. It's, it's Wisconsin, Indiana, or Purdue. Those are the ones you got. I, yeah, I think if you're if it. you're being sensible, it's you're it. picking one of them right now. And i
1: Yeah. Oh uh, uh, man. Uh uh yeah, I, I would stick with Wisconsin, but that is going to be I think that can be a fantastic three team race.
0: I'm gonna stick with Indiana just because like I I how could I not? But
1: I like Purdue. I like Purdue I a think, lot. I, GP did you look at yeah, they they look really good. In fact, I'm gonna have something on, on uh Caleb Swanigan here in the next seven to ten days. Do, Dude do he, you have that? He, he's awesome, but I did I pick him like I feel like I Picked him for Big Ten Player of the Year, but I might be misremembering that because I know I didn't. I don't think I picked Bryant, but he's been dude. He has been freaking ridiculous. I think he's had three 2020 games. It's been insane. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, he's been great. Purdue has been really, really good. I mean, they're all two lost teams at this point. Um, the Big Ten's going to be. Listen, it's to me, it's just going to be interesting because, like, I thought Ohio State would be better. They're ten and three, but they've had some. Weird games. Um, Michigan, I just don't. I'm not necessarily buying. Michigan as a top four Big Ten team. Northwestern's looking good. They're 11 and two. Maybe they make the tournament. Maybe Minnesota. Real quick, GP. They are 12 and one. This is totally flown under the, ra- under the radar because their non-conference has been whatever. Like it's it's not a great non-conference schedule. It's not awful, but it's not great. But last year was just a complete disaster for that program. So they're 12 and one right now. Last year they won eight games, um, and they only won two in the league. So they're on their way to just a massive bounce back here. I don't think they'll wind up being in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can kind of get there. But the middle part of the Big Ten is just totally wacky. I do think that we will have separation with those top three. I do buy Michigan State playing its way to the NCAA tournament, but I don't know if it can finish top three, even though I still kind of believe in them when at full health the way that i believe in rhode island
0: minnesota and maryland are similar in the sense that they got these like really impressive records on the surface but you just don't know how good they are you, there's, there's nothing there i mean like yeah. like listen if you're for richard i mean whatever you take 12 and 1 no matter how you get it like if it's 12 and 1 against all non-d1s like you're just happy to be 12 and 1 as opposed to what you were last year maryland like you know that's maryland um but and they're they're off to a good start, like twelve and one's twelve and one. You know, they're getting top twenty-five votes, all that stuff, but there's not a whole lot of substance there. If you go look at that Maryland resume and go, okay, what are the quality wins? Like there's not um there's not any great stuff there. There's a Kansas State win, that's fine.
1: They barely got. And Oklahoma- then they lose to Pittsburgh, and then they should have lost to Oklahoma State. I watched that game. But they so won they- it and then
0: Oklahoma State. and then Oklahoma State beat the crap out of Wichita State. So like that's right. that, that's a good win.
1: Like, no, it is a good win. Yeah. I'm just saying with Maryland, they're twelve and one. Right. They could very easily be ten and three with a three game losing streak, and no one's even remotely talking about it you know or what? thinking about it in these terms. Yeah, so.
0: they, yeah. And people looked at Maryland two years ago and said the same thing. You know, they're this, but they could be this. They've won all these close games. At what point does Mello get credit for that?
1: He definitely deserves credit. He's like he he's you been, get
0: you get in a close game with Maryland. Like, they, they, Melo tends for whatever reason, he gets the foul line, makes a big shot, yeah. something. Like, they figure out a way to win those close games. And I know that, you know, there are very smart numbers guys who look at it and they call it luck. Well, they just got lucky. And, they, you know, it'll balance out over time. But, like, now it's, like, I, I understand the 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 logic behind that. Like, I'm not being dismissive of that point of view. But, like, at some point you've got to stop chalking it up to luck and saying, you know, maybe it's Mellow Trimble. Like, maybe when you get in a close game and you've got Mellow Trimble and the other team doesn't, like, it works out for you more often than not. And it's not luck. It's based on that fact.
1: Yes, I, I would agree with that. And you have Mellow as a top-ten player of the year guy, right? Because I would put him there right now.
0: Yeah, I, I do. I wanted to bump... I, I didn't want to bump him. Not, let me rephrase. I I considered bumping him because I wanted to get TJ Leaf in the top ten. Mm. Um, yeah, like, I know. But, like, I didn't... There was... from From the week before to last week, there was no reason to bump him. Like he and done he did nothing to deserve it. And so yeah, he's a he's a top ten national player of the year candidate. And so um he's off to a terrific junior year. And I wrote this when he decided to return to to Maryland. And, you know, I, I know that he didn't plan to ever be a junior in college. Certainly not after he freshman season at Maryland. And but there's nothing wrong with just being a great college player. I think so often we look at guys who we thought were gonna be gone after one year, or certainly after two, and they're juniors or seniors, and for whatever reason they get labeled as a disappointment. Like, what? Why are you still in school? If you're still in school, then things haven't gone as planned, which is which is technically true. I promise you, Mellow Tremble never thought he was going to be a junior in college when he started his sophomore year. But like, once you are, like, there's like there's something kind of cool about like just going down as one of the great players in the history of maryland basketball which is what he has an opportunity to do and I, I wish we would get to a mindset where we could appreciate that a little bit more rather than you know talk about what they're not at the next level or what they're not projected to be in terms of an nba draft spot uh, draft prospect and then just go you know what um He's he's just an I don't know what he'll ever be as a pro But he's an awesome college basketball player And that's that's got to be worth something And then sometimes just being an awesome college basketball player Who wins like Even if no draft analyst thinks that You project as an NBA player Sometimes you just end up there anyway Look at Fred Van Vliet right now
1: I know man they were, they, they, like no, nobody, the Raptors. nobody
0: would have said a year ago Or any time that Fred Van Vliet Was going to end up in the NBA It was like well he's too short He's not quick enough, not athletic enough I don't know. Now he's playing for like a Eastern Conference playoff team. You know, he's at, like he's on he's on the court. It's all, it's an awesome story, and um, it reminds me Sean Miller. Do you remember the Sean Miller quote NCAA tournament? Like um, okay. he was talking about Fred, and he said, "Do not." He said, "Don't." I because he, he he apparently like the cameras caught him saying something to Fred VanVleet after the game, and he said, "I told him don't ever." Uh don't ever let anybody tell you you can't play in that league. Go play in the league. he can do, like he doesn't check the box he's not as tall as you'd like he's not as quick as you'd like he's not as athletic as you'd like somehow he'll figure it out
1: and and this is coming from Miller who by the way fact that t j McConnell is right, in the league right I, Same dude thing. like sometimes these guys get to the league and if you want to compare it and go back to Maryland and like I didn't think Steve Blake would have any shot at making the n b a and he was like he was in the league for more than a decade. sometimes these guys. It's about fit and just pure, utter will, desire. How they play the game is different than what – it's It's really awesome. Like I cannot believe that McConnell is not only in the league, but he has like been a player. It's mm-hmm. it's fantastic to see those kind of things when those guys that no one – like no one projected McConnell who started at Duquesne would ever even sniff the league. Right. And he has been fantastic. I I love when we get those stories every once in a while. I do
0: too. Let's get back to these uh, conference predictions. In the preseason of Big 12, we both had Kansas.
1: Yeah, enough said, obviously, sticking.
0: (laughs) I am too, and I get this question from Kansas fans every time I post the updated Top 25 and 1 because I have Baylor ranked 3rd and Kansas ranked 4th. So they go, oh, you're picking Baylor. Ha, 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 ha. How'd that go for you last year? No, I'm not picking Baylor to win the Big 12. I think Baylor deserves to be ranked ahead of Kansas right now. I still pick Kansas to win the Big 12. Similarly... I think Villanova deserves to be ranked number one right now. I would pick Duke to win the national championship. Like these two things aren't—they don't always mean the same thing. So yeah, uh, we both picked Kansas in the preseason. I will pick Kansas to win a 13th straight uh, Big 12 title. Pac 12. We both picked Oregon. Mm.
1: I think we both got to switch. Right?
0: I'm switching. i am with—I'm dude. I'm—I'm I'm UCLA for life. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm UCLA for 2016, 2017. I, I, can, I can commit to that. I'm all my I Steve go Alford UCLA. now. I'm
0: all my Steve Alford now.
1: Listen, I was uh, I was boasting last year that I was the only dude that picked Buddy Heald in the preseason win player of the year. I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. I was very in on Dylan Brooks being player of the year. He will struggle to be a second-team All-American at this point. He could still get there. I mean, if Oregon got into a situation where it started to really – win big in the Pac-12, and maybe maybe it will have the answers to UCLA. You know, we've only seen non-league games, so you just never know. Like, maybe Dana Altman will have Steve Alford figured out. Oregon sweeps UCLA and and some of our perspective changes. Um, But right now, Brooks is nowhere near a top-ten player of the year list. Oregon was the preseason favorite by pretty much everyone, but obviously UCLA has taken that. I will switch to the Bruins. I do expect get in similar fashion to the Big Ten. I I think that UCLA will get some good push from Oregon and Arizona. Miller is doing a very good job with a team that has looked shaky at times, but at the same time, when you look at what he's had, still doesn't have Alonzo Trier. They've been able to have some success there. I think it should be an interesting three-horse race, but GP, I have to go UCLA. They are too damn good on offense. Like you got to have a team. They're not great on D, but you just got to have a team that's going to be able to play UCLA style and, and beat them 94 to 91. I don't know how many teams are going to do that. They're going to take losses. I just don't know if they're going to take more than three before the Pac-12 tournament because they are just too good on O.
0: I think they're going to be a, the one seed in the West. Like I I don't I, there's nothing fluky about them. They're so good offensively, like so good offensively. And the thing was, like people you know when I would talk about them or write about them, they say yeah, but you know what what happens when they're
1: not making shots. They beat Ohio State by 13 on a neutral court. Yeah, that was a bad game for them, and they won it easily.
0: They won it easily, and they and they did. They didn't play well. Like I talked to TJ after the game because I just spent time with him out in, in Westwood, and then and and then I saw him out in Vegas, and I was like, you know, at him afterwards, I was like, another nice game. He's like, really? And I was like, well, it wasn't. And he, his point was like, not really. Like we didn't, we really didn't play well. But like it was like not, like another double digit win you know you and and like I'm with you like you got to get into the 80s to beat them probably the maybe the not probably but maybe the 90s and I don't know how many teams are going to be able to score with them they're not going to stop scoring and so um good luck but they'll, they'll get a real test on Wednesday night UCLA at Oregon uh, it's going to be terrific like a great midweek college basketball game I know this is bowl season
1: um but uh, for
0: college basketball, that's a great...
1: That and uh, villanova Creighton are the two best games of the week.
0: Yeah, uh, so we get one on Wednesday night and then one on Saturday, which would be uh, New Year's Eve. So there are some, some high-profile games uh, this week. We'll talk about villanova Creighton uh, a little bit later on uh, this week. Uh, last week, uh, we both picked Kentucky and the SEC. We're not moving off that, are we?
1: Can't even remotely move off That's it. the
0: one you feel most comfortable with, isn't it?
1: without a doubt yeah. there's no one that's Kentucky's going to win the SEC by four games I think oh, I, I don't think anyone's going to even come close uh, the the league just it's got some interesting stories Auburn's doing well Florida's looking better than it was last season but South Carolina still good without Cindarius Thornwell, Thornwell without yeah.
0: Devin Downey shout out to Devin Downey
1: without a doubt Kentucky's Did you ever think
0: did you ever think South Carolina would be this good without
1: Cindarius Thornwell and
0: without Devin Downey I didn't
1: i I couldn't possibly imagine it there's no way but yeah kentucky in a runaway i think so
0: um so there's so if we were predicting the conference champions for the top eight leagues right now according to ken pom aac you and i'd both go cincinnati acc we'd both go duke a10 we'd both still go with rhode island big east we'd both still go with nova big 10 I'm going Indiana. You're going Wisconsin. But we both really like Purdue and recognize Matt Painter might make us look stupid. Big Twelve, yeah. we'd both still take Kansas. pac Twelve, we'd both now take UCLA. SEC, we'd both still take Kentucky.
1: Now we'll mark look. it down. Hey, keep us accountable. I, I, we're definitely. There's. I just don't think we're going to be right about all of them. So I figure. I feel like I'm going to be right about everything. I know. I know you do. But, <laughs> really? Dude, nothing happens. We're like, let's just make this, you know, 2025 20, minute podcast. What are we at right now? Like 40, 41. This is ridiculous. But thank you to everyone for listening. I'm I'm sure people are enjoying <laughs> cuz like legitimately like there's no games on Monday. So if people want their college groups content, we're happy to to supply that and uh you want to tell them what the what's changing here with the podcast.
0: I don't know what's changing, Norlander. We're gonna do um a Sunday In night. Three a week. Yeah, we're gonna yeah.
1: Well, we we talked about that last week, on the last uh, podcast.
0: I, I, we're gonna do three a week start. going forward. We will do um one that'll basically be recorded on on Sunday nights usually, because starting next week. I'm uh, I travel back and forth, back and forth to New York every week, so I'll be flying on Wednesday, on Mondays, and then flying home on Thursdays, doing studio work, CBS Sports Network. So we'll we'll be recording one typically on Sunday nights, and then another on Wednesday mornings, and then another on Friday mornings. And I, on on one hand, you go, geez, are we going to have enough stuff to talk about?" But we just did 44 minutes uh, without without really anything to talk about. So I've, so we'll figure it out. We we talked about officiating for 15 of it. <laughs> let's go remember you can subscribe uh, to the island college basketball podcast on itunes that's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible please do that seriously go subscribe don't make me tell you again thank you all uh, so much for listening hope you're enjoying the holiday season we will talk to you again on wednesday till then take care